Hey there, pilgrims. On this week's dose, we have Justin Itso, lead data and trends analyst at DocSend, the secure document sharing platform used by investors and founders. After a long career in academia as a professor at both Duke and Brown University, Justin joined DocSend to help make sense of all the pitch deck data that they've been able to collect over the years from founders and investors using their platform. In the interview, you'll hear about Justin's insights pertaining to current pitch deck data, both granularly and in aggregate. Yeah, he had a lot of unique insights. We've never even considered that we know founders can find extremely useful, especially in today's really competitive fundraising conditions. Yep, this week's dose was certainly chock full of unique insights. It was great hosting Justin, aka the pitch deck professor, on this week's dose, and class is now officially in session. This is VenturePill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, welcome back, pilgrims. On this week's dose, we have Justin Itso, lead data and trends analyst at Dropbox DocSend. Justin, appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. How's it going? Doing well. Great to be here. Great to have you. So let's get going here. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. We know you spent several years as a researcher and a professor at Duke and Brown University. How did that experience lead you into your role at Dropbox DocSend? Yeah, it was more than several years, actually. I spent probably about 15 years in academia um, thinking that I was only ever going to be an academic. And I was a professor at both Duke and Brown. And I enjoyed the analytical work. I enjoyed the writing and the complex ideas. I didn't enjoy the lack of career flexibility and the lack of real world application for my ideas and my work. And I was restless and that led to looking for a change. And I found this little startup called DocSend that was looking for someone who could analyze data, spot trends, and come up with interesting ideas to sort of fit that data and trends, those data and trends. And like many things in my life, it was sort of a case of being the right person in the right place at the right time and fell into this job that they sort of imagined initially as a marketing job and that I sort of have built out now into a research engine. We publish reports every year about startup fundraising. I get to stay on top of trends and what startup fundraising looks like year over year, often quarter over quarter. And I get to do these deep analytical dives into the startup venture capital landscape. In many ways, it's analytically similar to what I used to do. I worked on sort of anthropology, literature, philosophy, and it's similar analytically because you get to sort of study these broad trends and go really deep on interesting questions, paradoxes, any wrinkles you find in, in, in certain sets of data. And you get to explore new ideas and share them with people who may not necessarily know where you're going at first, but who are happy to come along for the ride. And that's the mentality I take when I analyze startup data with founders who don't necessarily always know what DocSend has to share 
or what fundraising is all about. Because as you both know, it can often be a black box for founders. And my job as a researcher and as this sort of advisor, educator type person in the startup space is to help them understand the trends that we're seeing and how those trends are immediately applicable to their kind of work and to help them get funded. And this is even more important in a context like today's where there's a lot more competition and the market is down and founders need our advice. And I love sort of playing the role of the professor outside of the university, as it were. It's kind of how I see my role and how I see the continuation of my role from the university into the private sector. So cool. Yeah. And it's cool how it's sort of evolved and, and you found your stride there and are getting to work with founders. We're excited to hear a little bit more about the details. First, before we dive into that, Justin, can you tell the Pilgrims, our listeners, what DocSend is and, and generally how is it used by VCs and founders today? Sure. DocSend is a secure document sharing platform. And our number one use case, and we've, we've kind of cornered the market on this, is that it's used by founders to share startup fundraising pitch decks with investors. And investors will also log in and view founders pitch decks on our platform. And incidentally, investors, so VCs, when they're fundraising from their own LPs, they will also share decks oh. using DocSend. And through this platform, founders or anyone who shares documents can get analytical data on where people are spending time within their documents. So founders get to see, oh, this person spent a lot of time on my traction slide. Maybe that means a lot of questions about it. How can I tailor my outreach accordingly? So it's a way to share documents securely, often pitch decks, but also to gain powerful insights into where people are spending time on your decks so that you can prepare follow-ups and additional outreach accordingly. This data we can also capture anonymously and analyze it to show where VCs are looking into pitch decks in aggregate terms for a given fund refunding round. So for pre-seed, we're releasing our seed report in a couple of months, and we're able to show where investors are, are, are leaning into decks and how that behavior kind of corresponds to fundraising outcomes that founders share with us when they take our fundraising survey. So it's kind of an all-in-one fundraising platform for founders. And, and we get to you know, use a lot of data that founders generously share with us to report back to them about what we're seeing within the platform about current trends. And so diving into the data component there a little deeper, <laughs> DocSend provides data in form of proprietary PDI metrics, which basically track the current state of fundraising with real-time data, as well as tracking investor and founder activity, right? Curious to hear what the data is currently reflecting and some trends that you're noticing that may be helpful for founders to know. Absolutely. Yes, this is a bit separate from, from our startup fundraising survey and the pitch deck data. This is aggregated data that we have from our whole platform for founders and investors. And we can track on a weekly basis how founders and investors are behaving, how many pitch decks founders are sending out on average, and how many decks investors are looking at on average. And it's interesting, right around now is when we would expect to see a fall rush. And this points to the sort of seasonality of our metrics. Um, founders can look at our data and say, well, activity tends to pick up around now. So I should know that I should have pitch decks ready for around mid-September. And right on time, we saw investors and founders pick up their activity around last week, beginning of this week. And I wasn't necessarily sure that investors were going to pick up the pace 
um, because investor activity has logged has lagged behind founder activity for the past 15 months, let's say, ever since the macro environment became, let's say, a bit more murky. Um, founders have kept to their pace. Investors have greatly slowed down theirs, which isn't necessarily a new insight. We can see that investors picked up their pace one week after founders. And there was a little bit of a lag there, but investors are now beginning their fall rush right around the same time that founders are beginning theirs. And we, we've seen depressed investor activity throughout much of the year. And to be honest, I wasn't necessarily sure that investors were going to pick up their pace. Founders, you could tell their their activity was has been higher than 2022, higher than even the bull market of 2021 um, oh, wow. throughout the entire year. Founders have been clamoring for deals and whatever macro murkiness is going on isn't really impacting um, founders' desire to raise. But any founder should know this. That doesn't necessarily mean that investors are willing to deploy any of their capital. And that's kind of what we've seen at the highest levels of our data. But lo and behold, investors did begin to pick up their pace and investors are now more active than they were last year at this time. So during last year's fall rush, uh, the beginning of the fall rush, let's say. And that's encouraging, I think, because on the one hand, it speaks to the fact that normal seasonal trends are still in place. The fundraising market isn't what it was back in 2021. We all know this, but it isn't necessarily as depressed as it might've been a year ago. There is still hope out there for founders and the seasonal trends behaving as they are kind of suggests that. And the fact that investors have picked up their pace relative to last year should give founders a little hope that if they need to raise right now, investors may be more willing to allocate capital than they would have been certainly six months ago, and even more so a year ago. Very interesting. I, I wouldn't have intuitively thought that there was seasonality within <laughs> activity of, you know, just at an aggregate level on the startup side, as well as the investor side, these rushes that you speak of, that's pretty fascinating. You know, we also wanted to ask, you know, as seen in the report, there's a highlight of the significance of pitch decks and how those have evolved recently. We wanted to know like, how have things changed in terms of structure and content to ad adapt as the landscape evolves and raising new rounds? Sure. And it's interesting. I've seen an evolution, a significant one recently, and I suspect it's founders sort of taking the temperature of the marketplace and preparing their decks accordingly, differently. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> for a long time, we've seen the average time that investors spend on a given deck fall. It When I first started a couple of years ago, we were averaging about three-ish minutes a deck. And that's steadily fallen to around two and a half minutes per deck. And at the pre-seed level, that's fallen even further to just over two minutes a deck. That is not a lot of time. By the same token, as I sort of just, just hinted, founder activity is pretty high. Founders are competing for waning investor attention. And that's kind of what this investor-friendly market looks like these days. And so if you're competing for less investor attention, you need to shorten your pitch deck and tighten your narrative. And that's it's been wisdom I've preached for a little while in our reports and when, when advising founders one-on-one. -on -one. And it seems that founders are kind of taking the hint to heart these days. And so the average pitch deck length has, has fallen from about 19 pages at uh, the pre-seed level to about 15, 16, which is pretty significant, I'd say. 
And again, I think it's a response to waning investor attention and a desire to entice investors with the tightest possible narrative. And what we're also seeing is founders foregrounding certain sections that used to be toward the middle of the deck. So the classical organization of the early stage pitch deck that I've seen over the past few years is company purpose, maybe a little intro slide at the beginning, problem, solution, why now? And there's a bit of a preamble to the, to, to the deck narrative, which makes a lot of sense, right? You take investors sort of slowly, you, hand, you, you hold their hands through the narrative of your company that you want to share. When I began looking at decks and aggregated deck data for our most recent pre-seed report, I saw a lot of successful founders or founders who successfully managed to raise a pre-seed round pushing their um, product and business model sections toward the front of the deck. And I was really taken aback because founders um, usually built up to these sections, whereas now in this, in, in this latest research, they were almost leading with them. And it's, it's as if founders said, okay, I've got a few seconds at most to get investors' attention because I know that if they're even just, you know, looking to look at decks at all, they have their pick of lots of founders. And this is often always true, right? But it's even more true now in, in a market like today's. And so investor or founders are foregrounding these crucial deck sections like the business model and the product section right up front. Now that makes investors' lives a little bit easier because it helps them get to the meat of the deck and make a yay or nay decision on whether to even keep reading the deck and ultimately to take a meeting. It, 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 makes, it, it helps investors reach that decision quickly. And if, I've, if I know investors, investors like when you help them out that way. They like to dive deep, but they don't want to be made to work in order to dive deep, if that makes sense. So founders are kind of helping out investors and <clears throat> creating these tighter narratives that sort of peak early on. And then other sections that, you know, a problem or solution slide that you know, we classically see in a traditional pitch deck, they're still there, but they're pushed more to the back. And, and founders are showing investors that they've thought meaningfully and deeply about their problem and business model, and they're doing so right at the top. And that was a trend, a new trend that, that really surprised me when I began looking at this data. And I suspect it's going to continue, especially as far, or certainly as far as, as the current market landscape remains tilted toward investors. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It kind of seems like the whole pitch in terms of telling the story behind the company has been expedited and letting the data and numbers really tell the story. And then if you know, you have a nibble on the line, so to speak, then you'll take time to learn more about the story which is really interesting. And that segues pretty well into our next question. You already highlighted most of it, but what are some specifics that may be standing out as most important to investors where they're spending the most time? I know you mentioned it's mostly the numbers and data, but can we get a little more granular within that? Absolutely. On the one hand, the sort of easy answer is that it's always traction and business model. Now, what I mean by that is it's not surprising that, that investors want to understand these two deck sections. It's where founders tend to present much of their numbers, their data, and investors are often looking to see that founders can, have created a simple, repeatable business model. And nothing more complicated than that, which is what I tell founders. Don't overcomplicate things and make sure both specialists and you know, your mom can understand it, right? Um, <laughs> by the same token, what does this mean in today's context? Um, it means that you have to be even more concise. Um, on the other hand, 
this needs to be connected to a broader, longer tail for your business. So let me break that down. The conciseness means you have less time than ever to show investors that you've thought deeply about your traction metrics and your business model. And in today's market, you need to put together slides that are both comprehensive and not very wordy. And striking this balance is always key and it's even more key than ever. So founders should really spend a lot of time editing words out of their slides and making sure they're presenting traction metrics and business model information that is understandable at a glance. And when I say at a glance, I really do mean at a glance. If investors are working too hard, I mean, the funny thing about investors is they can do this work, but they don't want to have to because they have so many other founders you know, lined up with pitch decks ready to share. So if you can show founders that your business model is intuitive and that your traction metrics are easy to understand, and investors don't have to work too hard to, to understand the meat of these metrics, you're already coming out ahead. Now, there's another component to this, and that is the long tail of the business today. And what I mean by that is what we began to see in our latest pre-seed research is that investors are really concerned about the long-term path to profitability of early stage startups today. Investors know that this is a long game, of course, but Gone are the days of growth at all costs. Let's figure out how to ramp this up as soon as possible. Investors' perspectives are different these days. They've gone from this culture of fear of missing out to what we call the joy of missing out. And this is a phrase we sort of used in our, in our report, and I think it holds true. Investors are still willing to lean in on decks and on deals, but they're happy not to allocate capital if they don't have to. Because again, things are still uncertain macroeconomically. But if you can show investors that you have kept the long term in mind and that you have a path to profitability that is easily expressed in your business model section and in your traction, you have a winning formula or what's most likely to be a winning formula. And that's what we're advising. That's what I'm advising founders to think about these days. And that's anecdotally what I'm hearing a lot of investors are caring about. Sure, everyone wants growth. Why not? Everyone wants a unicorn. But this slow burn to profitability is more at the forefront of investors' minds than, than it has been since I began looking at startup fundraising data. And the more concisely founders can show that that path is clear and, and plausible, the better chance they stand of, of, of attracting investors, investors' attention at a time when that attention is, is at a premium. That balance that you have to strike, keeping things concise, but also portraying enough with just a few seconds of attention, <laughs> how to maximize that is its own you know, complex formula, sounds like, but mm -hmm. really interesting what you just mentioned there. I'm, I'm curious, would yeah. you say that this is more of a, the, the hardest time to be a founder or more of an easier time to be a founder? I love this question. On the one hand, our data, so if I come back to, to our data in the aggregate sense, which is good because it takes into account, you know, most of our founders are early stage founders, but our, our pitch deck, our weekly pitch deck data that we can then aggregate over quarter over quarter, year over year, um, going back to 2018, if I'm not mistaken, shows that even though investors are much less active these days and have been for the past, you know, 12, 15 months, they are still more active than they were before COVID. And likewise, founders are much more active than they were before COVID as well. 
So even though the market appears depressed in a relative sense these days, the market is still much more robust than it used to be. Let's say three, four, five years ago, which seems like a lifetime ago for so many reasons. But it is worth making these comparisons to what we might call the before times to show that even though deals are much harder to come by these days, it's still thinkable and possible to get funded. And so I think that it is still, broadly speaking, a good time to be a founder relative to years past. Is it tougher than it was a year ago, than it was 18 months ago, two years ago? Yes, undoubtedly. But does that necessarily mean that there's slowing for good interest in funding SaaS-based startups? No, I don't think so. And this is what founders need to keep in mind. There is the sort of long-term and the short-term perspective to, 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 to bear in mind here. And the long-term perspective still does tell us that, that fundraising activity remains relatively robust, even though the sort of year-over-year snapshot doesn't always make it look that way. It is a question, however, thinking about that short-term picture of extending your runway a little bit, knowing that even if interest in funding startups isn't waning in any meaningful way, it might take a bit longer than it used to in today's marketplace. So it's kind of a yes and no answer to the question, but I will lean heavily on the idea that it is still broadly speaking, pretty okay to be a founder these days. Yeah, no, I know that was an open-ended tricky question. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking a stab and it was definitely a great mm -hmm. answer. So thank you. Justin, you're at, you're at a very interesting perspective point within the founder ecosystem. We wanted to originally ask you like why your why the company sort of created this role. I think it's it's become clear through your answers that you're providing a lot of insights and value to founders that they can't get elsewhere. What, what has been most surprising about your role in working with these founders maybe is a better question in your first few years in this role. You know, I love that question too. It's what's been surprising is that, so I made this transition from academia to, from, you know, really high philosophy to startup fundraising and venture capital. Right. And on the surface of it, those two things have nothing to do with each other, but what I've been able to do is bring the analytical skills that I have and the ability to sort of keep one eye on granular data and the other on much higher level trends and take this sort of professorial attitude to it and bring it to sort of fundraising and, and venture capital. And I've been able to see that, well, no, VCs actually think analytically in many of the same ways that I do. And so if I can understand how they think, I can advise founders much more easily than I could if I just had you know, survey-based data in front of me, right? And by the same token, I can go deep on founder pitch decks and say, well, the aesthetics of this slide don't really work and here's why, or our data kind of shows that, you know, this is too many words for this section, something like that. And, and I can get really granular with founders about how pitch deck narratives are organized and how they can tell the best story for their business in a way that both speaks to the macro trends, but doesn't necessarily ignore the, the, the intricacies of their unique story. 
And it's paying attention to the data, the storytelling, and the, the, the macro trends from a deeply analytical perspective that really unites the, both the worlds I've been in. And it's kind of why I've been able to make this role my own over the past few years, because no one was expecting this role to exist in this way. <laughs> That's true for a lot of jobs, sure. But we've really been able to lean in on me being something like a pitch deck professor for founders <laughs> and alongside VCs in a way that allows me to comment on and think critically about the marketplace, but also to provide really actionable advice for founders about whom I care you know, very deeply pitch deck professor. Yeah. I, I love that. That's awesome. I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole here, but I feel like we would be remiss not to at least briefly mention AI. And so with mm -hmm. that said, curious within your role, obviously you're processing a lot of data, creating data-driven insights. So curious within your role and then briefly just you know, as a whole, your perspective on AI, how you're using it and where you see the future of it going. Sure. I am not using <clears throat> an AI tool just yet to analyze pitch decks or pitch deck data. We are hopefully building that out at DocSend. But one thing we are doing, we have the DocSend Fundraising Network, which is a service that founders can use to share their pitch deck and have it analyzed based on our fundraising data. And we can score it based on you know, correct criteria and let founders know that you know, their pitch deck makes the grade. And if successful, we can invite them into our network and connect them with certain VCs. And we are moving toward an AI-based model for pitch deck evaluation based on you know, human readings of data. So there is still a human component to this that would be, will be built into the AI. Awesome. And that's really exciting because it'll, it'll allow us to... to engage with more founders at scale in a way that we couldn't necessarily before. But you're asking about the broader question of the AI-ness of it all. And it's interesting. Unsurprisingly, I've seen a lot more mentions of AI in pitch decks over the past you know, six to nine months. That goes without saying, and that's an obvious answer. Right. What I'm seeing less of, and I said this in a recent interview with TechCrunch, and I'm in I've thought about it more and I'm still standing by it. I'm seeing less organically meaningful uses of AI in pitch decks and by extension in early stage startups. Companies are often using this as a hook to get investors' attention and I'm not convinced it's working. Or it may work in the very short run and won't work in the long run. Or it'll see many founders pivot away or have to retool. And I think that the founders who are using AI and have an organic, obvious in the good sense, use for AI for their company today are the ones who stand the best chance of capitalizing on this boom, let's call it. The ones who are sort of shoehorning AI into their business model or into their, into their product in ways that are less seamless than they would be for certain other founders are the ones who might really struggle to sell their vision as being truly mediated by AI in any meaningful way. And the upshot of this is that I never recommend to founders that they change their pitch or their company radically to meet the trends of the moment. That tends not to work. And any kind of pivoting like that should be done with much more care and research in mind. And the best story to tell is always your story told in a compelling data-driven way, not one that sort of shoehorns a trend in there to, to meet the moment in a way that might feel clumsy.
because investors are savvy individuals and they will see through that. And founders shouldn't be surprised by that. And I think that at the end of the day, sure, AI-based businesses in the broad sense may do well over the next you know, year or so. But the ones that succeed in the long run, I think, are more likely to be the ones who were, let's say, really AI-based all along, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great answer. And, and time will tell shortly, probably. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll be keeping our pulse on that the best we can. Justin, our, our sort of last question to wrap up the interview is about any startups maybe that you've worked with or that you've come across that you find noteworthy. We're always looking for the most innovative ones for the pilgrims to keep their eye out for. Sure. A friend of mine is starting a company called Magellan, and that is actually AI-based meeting software. And he just raised a mini angel pre-seed round. And this was interesting because he wasn't AI-based before, but his product didn't really work. And once he figured out that that AI could make his, it's software that, that, that sort of will guide a group of individuals through a meeting and the AI could do the job much better than, than his current sort of setup. And he found a way to really build it organically into his business in a way that frankly, and I told him this, I didn't think he would, he'd be able to. And it, it almost looked like a sort of bad example of what I was mentioning before of those founders who were just trying to sort of surf the AI wave for the moment. But he made it work for him. And once he could show investors that his engine was sort of now powered by AI and it actually worked in ways that, it, that his previous sort of platform couldn't, he began to get traction. And that was a way to actually go back to my previous answer of pivoting in a really meaningful way. Sure, he met the moment, but he did so in a way that really organically made sense for his business and it, and it, and it worked out, but it didn't work out through a sort of cynical adoption of AI. Rather, it was through a really concerted effort to build the best platform possible. And it just so happened that he figured it out with AI. That's awesome. And just to confirm, you said it's Magellan is the name of the startup? Magellan. Awesome. All right. There we go. It's on our radar. Justin, before we let you go, last thing, we just want to let you shamelessly plug yourself here. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along and connect with you as well as what's going on at the, with the team at Docsend? Sure. I am less of a social media guy than most, but find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. You'd be happy to chat and come check out Docsend. Our weekly PDI metrics page is on docsend.com. And you can stay in touch with us there for weekly updates and quarterly updates as well. And that is what we've got. We've also got Docsend on Twitter and Docsend's LinkedIn page as well. Yeah, perfect. We'll make sure to link that in our show notes. Justin, this was a a unique episode for us. Uh, Great insights. We'll be excited to share those, uh, those reports with the pilgrims and Thanks for coming on the show. Excellent. No, um, my pleasure. And it was a lot of fun to talk about these questions. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She told me that she only 
Bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little okey, okey, dokey. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do things differently. The views, statements, and opinions expressed herein by the hosts and their guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast should not be construed as reflecting the views or implied endorsement of Independent Brokered Solutions, LLC, or any of its officers, employees, or agents. The statements made herein should not be considered an investment opinion, advice, or recommendation regarding securities of any company. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes and is not to be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a security.